informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us, broadcasting today from the studios of This Week in Agribusiness, where I'll be co-hosting with my good friend, Orion Samuelson on this weekend's TV show. Hope you'll watch us and uh, tune us in. Thanks for tuning us in today here on Adams on Agriculture. Lots to talk about. We'll talk trade with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. We're going to talk with Ron Heck, an Iowa farmer and a member of the National Biodiesel Board. We'll talk about the big event this week in Iowa, where the president, of course, had the big rally about the E15, the starting of the process to lift the summer ban on E15. Uh, we'll talk about that and the, the biofuels industry overall. Get a harvest update in Iowa where they have some challenges, as they do in Missouri. We'll talk with Gene Millard also a little bit later on about the Missouri situation where they've gone from drought most of the year to now too much rain. And that's a big challenge in a lot of areas right now. A lot of rain, we know, of course. And our thoughts and prayers, certainly with all the folks in the uh, southeastern part of the country being hit and impacted by Hurricane Michael. Uh, But uh, throughout the Midwest, a lot of wet weather in some places, North Dakota and others, they're dealing with snow. So it's uh, turning into a very challenging harvest season. More on that a little bit later on. But joining us now from DTN is Todd Neely. Todd was at the the rally in Iowa this week uh, for the big announcement on E15. Todd, thanks for joining us. What was that event like this week? Hey, good to be here, Mike. Um, you know, if you've ever been to a Trump rally, it's kind of the same. Um, it's kind of the same format. You know, we see thousands of people show up, and um, I, I think what was most interesting this week was, uh, you know, the timing of the E15 announcement and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, it was in Council Bluff, so it's a border town. You know, between Iowa and Nebraska, basically. And uh, it was a it was a mostly Nebraska crowd that showed up, and uh, you know it was it was kind of a celebratory. It, it almost felt like a holiday atmosphere. You know, not that uh, you know most Trump rallies kind of feel that way anyway. But um, I think that this was an announcement that a lot of people have been waiting to hear. Um, you know, it not necessarily changed much with the corn markets at this point, but um, I think it brought a little bit of hope to the countryside. Yeah, I think the key here is, uh, Todd, the fact we have to remember the ban, summer ban on E15 has not been lifted. This is the start of a process. Do we have any idea how long that process might take? Now, it's hoped for, by the ethanol industry, obviously, that there'll be, uh, it'll be done by June 1st of next year. So when the summer driving season comes along, they can sell E15 uh, throughout the country. Will it get done by then, you think? Uh, you know, so far, EPA is not really saying much about the timetable, but um, the fact that the president has basically uh, instructed EPA to begin the rulemaking, um, with that in mind, that they want they want that ban lifted come June. Now, you know, one of the things that we're going to see, obviously, um, if a rule gets completed by June in time, uh, there will be a legal challenge. Uh, in the refining industry, people have already said as much. Um, and I think at this point... Um, if that rule gets finalized, what what we're going to see is the refining interests are going to seek some sort of an injunction to stop it. Um, you know, it's going to it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I I definitely think that uh, this rule gets done by June because 
Uh, we've heard along the way here that EPA has, has been looking at this for a long time and may even possibly have a rule already set to go. Um, but we don't know if that's actually true. But we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But there's no doubt um, that there will be some sort of a legal action. Yeah, it'll wind up in the hands of lawyers and judges and courts. And, you know, yeah. there may be an injunction. But then can you get a stay to allow the sales uh, during while the courts uh, while it plays out in the courts? So there will be a lot of legal maneuvering, that's for sure. Meanwhile, an interesting uh, announcement by Casey's General Stores. They're going to expand uh, uh, the sale of E15. Yeah, you know, and Casey's is a big Iowa company. You know, it's uh, it's obviously got kind of a footprint across the midwest but uh you know we we heard you know in the past few weeks that if uh this restriction on e15 is lifted um you know there's been a lot of debate about what it's really going to mean in terms of ethanol gallons and corn demand and all those things uh but i think one of the things that hasn't really been talked about much is that there are there are thousands of stations out there that have been very hesitant uh, to go headlong into E15 sales because of that restriction. You know, they want to be able to sell it to the consumers year-round. And so I think, I think what you might see, if this is, if this is once, you know, at once lifted, uh, you're going to see a lot of adoption, a lot of widespread adoption of E15, and even the possibility somewhere down the road, years down the road, that it actually replaces E10 in the market. And I think that's probably the biggest growth opportunity in terms of E15 is, is how it might fill in the E10 market at some point. Yeah, hopefully the announcement sends a signal, but I think also the move by Casey's yeah. will send a signal that will encourage others to go ahead and make the move to E15. Oh, absolutely. You know, Casey's is a big, like I said, it's a big presence here in the Midwest. Um, you know, we see a lot of a lot of stations though across the country that have been kind of waiting on this announcement. So. Casey's is one of them, but, you know, there's a lot of other large retailers who are um, just kind of waiting to see how it all plays out. So I think that's, I think that's probably the, the most underestimated aspect of this is that, you know, just lifting the ban, like you said, sends that market signal, and there's a lot, of, a lot more relief to, to, to really uh, dive into E15. Todd, I've seen, I mentioned this yesterday. It's, it's always frustrating to see the misreporting that's done about yeah. ethanol and a lot of those old inaccurate stories came flooding back this week one of them being that e15 somehow is not approved or not safe for vehicles when again let's remind folks that epa approved e15 for use in in vehicles 2001 model year 2001 and newer absolutely mike and you know most of the vehicles on the road uh you know it fit that category you know you're going to have your older vehicles pre-2001 still out there, but primarily, I mean, we've heard estimates of somewhere to 90% and up of all the vehicles on the road uh, can actually use E15, but what you're going to hear from refiners is that, uh, you know, and, and petroleum interest is that basically, uh, you know, the fuel's dangerous, it, it can uh, it can cause engine problems and those sort of things, but there really hasn't been, uh, that we know of, any single reported case where E15 had caused any kind of damage, and so... There's going to be quite a press on here, you know, not just in the courts, but there's going to be a lot of, I think, ad campaigns and those sorts of things on both sides of this, you know, and then you kind of have to decide for yourself who you believe. Well, it's not a done deal yet, but it's a, a step that's been waited for for a long time, and uh, 
it'll be interesting, Todd, to see where it goes from here. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good news, though, I think. I do, too. Todd, thank you for being with us. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mike. All right. DTN reporter Todd Neely, he was in Council Bluffs this week for the big uh, rally with the president making the announcement on E15. Well, uh, a lot of people interested in that announcement, of course, uh, not just in the ethanol industry, the biodiesel industry, looking at that very closely, and also about what's going to happen with the RFS. which greatly impacts the biodiesel industry as well. Iowa farmer Ron Heck, a member of the National Biodiesel Board, will join us next. We'll talk about those issues and get an Iowa harvest update as well. That's coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. (laughs) They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Of course, uh, the big event this week uh, for agriculture was the rally in uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, and the announcement of the president instructing EPA to start the process to lift the summer ban on E15. Uh, Joining us now is Iowa farmer Ron Heck. He's a member of the National Biodiesel Board. And, Ron, I know you were watching that event very closely as well, even though it was about E15. uh, When it comes to biofuels, uh, a lot happening with uh, the RFS and uh, biodiesel that you want the the administration to be aware of. Well, you bet. I'm I'm a corn farmer, too, of course, and, and the biofuels people are all working together after a bit of a scary experience with uh, the EPA Administrator Pruitt, uh, he's gone now, so we get another chance uh, to uh, uh, visit uh, with uh, President uh, Trump and the new Acting Administrator, and, and we want to see uh, a better RFS than what we've had before, and we think that it's quite doable and should be done. We appreciate the President announcing his support for E15, but that's the start of a process before that actually becomes uh, um, possible to do. You got an editorial into the Des Moines Register, I believe. What was your message? Well, my message was that uh, uh, we have a lot of trade agreements that have a lot of problems, and they're going to take time to uh, work through them, and we're, we're very uh, encouraged by the new Canada-Mexico agreement that is an improvement for uh, agriculture in, in many ways. But we have things we can do right here at home, too, for boosting the RFS, especially for biodiesel and to stop the small refinery exemptions uh, applied retroactively that hurt both ethanol and biodiesel. That's within our control. We don't need to negotiate with another country to have a stronger RFS. We talked yesterday with uh, Scott Irwin, ag economist at the University of Illinois. He makes the case that those small refinery exemptions have actually hurt the biodiesel industry even more than the ethanol industry. Yes, I would agree with that uh, totally. Uh, the uh, small refiner exemptions are uh, two and a quarter billion gallons. The total RFS for biodiesel is 2.1 billion gallons. The, the exemptions are bigger than our original required volume. And uh, we don't understand at all why uh, biodiesel should have a 2.1 billion gallon requirement when the industry is currently at 2.8 billion gallons already. That just doesn't make sense. As exciting as the announcement was this week on E15, uh, if, he, if he'd have doubled down and come out with an announcement that the, they were going to take a closer look at the, that policy at EPA and make some changes on granting those waivers, that would have, uh, that would have been even better news, I think. <laughs> well, that would have been great news. Uh, his... Uh, his speech in uh, Council Bluffs was a campaign rally, uh, not focused as much on policy as uh, as it was in firing up the crowd, which which he certainly did. But uh, back at the EPA, where the actual work gets done, we're having ongoing discussions with the EPA and asking them these questions and showing them our data and explaining uh, to the uh, new acting administrator how this is damaging biodiesel, kind of an unintended consequence of the ethanol fight. Ron, do you get any indication from EPA and Andrew Wheeler that they're going to make any changes in their policy on granting those waivers? 
we know that they're listening. Uh, the National Biodiesel Board has has met with Wheeler, and uh, it, it's a slow process at the EPA. Uh, Trump could make a political announcement, for example, and say, you know, I support E15. I've directed the EPA to do it. But it's a long process where there's a lot of rules. Have to see what's legal, what they think is legal, announce the rule, have public comments, and then face a court challenge afterwards. So we are not expecting a quick result, but uh, we are encouraging our politicians at all levels to to let the EPA know that they support an RFS as it was originally intended, which would be stronger than what the EPA is currently doing. So we're, we're hopeful, but we know this is going to be a process. Well, you touched on something that I keep reminding people about, and I think we need to keep talking about it. There is a difference, a big difference, between a policy announcement and an actual rule change. Uh, there's a lot in between those two things. Right. Soybean farmers are, are suffering right now with the uh, lowest prices in a, in a decade. Uh, and it's going to take many months, uh, maybe a year, before a rule could become final. So we need to get started on it right now. We can't let this go on and have a solution be two or three years out. Ron, I know you're also looking at uh, getting a permanent uh, extension uh, or the the biodiesel tax incentive, get it permanently in place rather than have it just uh, kind of off and on and and put back in retroactively. Uh, you, you, You need some certainty there, don't you? Yes, it's it's just been a nightmare for our biodiesel producers, uh, never knowing when, uh, if the credit is going to be renewed for another year. Being, uh, it's always been renewed, sometimes a year retroactively, but that's no way to operate a business. So we're in discussions with the right people in Congress. That's a congressional fix. The EPA can't mm-hmm. do it. So we're in discussions with the uh, right people in Congress and uh, have uh, many supporters. Uh, uh, the Iowa delegation is, is all behind it. Uh, Grassley uh, and Ernst, uh, David Young have been particularly uh, vocal about their support, as has Loebsack, a Democrat. We're glad to, to have him there in, in that caucus. Uh, we need a permanent fix for that. Uh, the, the industry is it's a 2.8 billion gallon industry. Uh, we can't go on like this. So we need a permanent fix from Congress. We are hopeful that we can get that done yet this year in a tax extender package, uh, possibly after the election. Uh, but that's our our primary focus right now because that's nearby, and, and we can make that happen with Congress without a legal challenge. So that's our, our best uh, short-term activity is directed there. Yeah, so you have two big issues facing the biodiesel industry, as you said, the, the tax incentive, uh, that is on the congressional level and then on the EPA agency uh, level when it comes to those uh, small refinery exemption, those waivers. So two big issues, though, for the biodiesel industry. We're talking with Ron Heck uh, from Iowa. He's a member of the National Biodiesel Board. Ron, I have to ask you, uh, how much harvesting has been done in your area? Well, not not a lot. Uh, Some of my neighbors have done some corn. I have not done any corn yet myself. Uh, and a few beans are, are out. Uh, I'm, I'm about, uh, I haven't reached 10%.
I'm in central Iowa. We've gotten more than our share out of this. Uh, it looks like it will be a couple of days at least before anybody gets back in to do anything. So uh, we have a serious delay. I, uh, something needs to happen soon. <laughs> Not only a delay in time, but uh, how much yield do you think you're losing out there? Are you uh, Any indication of, uh, of damage out there from the rains? You've had some pretty heavy rains, haven't you? Well, we have, and they've been recent, so I haven't had a chance to look. But uh, driving by on the road, uh, you can see the corn and soybeans both turning darker, uh, turning black in spots. You can see the uh, the corn is uh, lodging some; it's deteriorating. So yes, we've got we may very well have yield and quality issues when we get the combines back to going again. Very frustrating. That's why the old saying, even as you're seeing a good crop. Uh, developed during the course of a growing season until it's in the bin it's not a done deal right oh that's that's right and we have our serious concerns here but in the southeastern part of the u.s they've already gotten serious crop damage they're suffering more with uh michael they have certainly had losses in both quantity and quality i've heard of beans being rejected uh and whole fields not harvested in the southern u.s so uh we we don't want to we're sorry to see that happen to them and we don't want any more of that uh, happening anywhere including in iowa what is your forecast ron because once you get into these wet periods like this you have to have a big enough window a long enough window for it to dry out and then you run the risk of running into that next rain well absolutely we've got a two-week forecast of relatively dry conditions but unfortunately it's also below normal temperatures and high humidities uh, so uh, we're still not able to run, even even though it did finally uh, stop raining yesterday. All right, Ron. Well, we hope the weather cooperates. You'll be able to get out and get that harvest going soon, and, and uh, we'll also be watching and talking more about these big issues facing the biodiesel industry. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Ron Heck from Iowa, member of the National Biodiesel Board. More on weather and harvest challenges a little bit later in the program. But coming up next, we're going to take a closer look at that new trade deal between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. We'll talk with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. What do they think about it? And let's talk about some of the other issues as well with China and some of the other trade issues that are still out there. That's coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. It's not just storing grain, it's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise, it's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. 
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A sharp sell-off in U.S. stocks spilled over into global stocks on Thursday with technology among the hardest hit once again back to a mix on Wall Street on this Thursday. Grain futures fell on Wednesday. We've seen a mix there on this Thursday ahead of USDA's report later on this morning. Larger yields and supplies will likely weigh on prices as domestic inventory continues to outweigh demand. Farmers said to be swimming in soybeans. Analysts saying it's probably still too early to tell. To get a good grasp on what U.S. soybean demand will be for 2018-19, analysts don't expect much change in crop size for corn. They do anticipate a 158 million bushel increase in USDA's estimate of U.S. ending stocks. Corn trended lower in the overnight trade, early Thursday trade, a fraction to a penny lower. Soybean futures have been mixed. According to Brazilian crop agency Conab, Brazil's farmers could produce another record of harvest soybeans in the 2018-19 growing season. The country could grow as much as 119.4 million metric tons of soybeans in the current season, according to Conab. They grew a record 119.3 million tons last season. Support for November soybeans seen at the 20-day moving average, 848 and a quarter. December corn, if we see sustained declines below 363, could be vulnerable to a slip to 354 and a half. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are steady to 45 higher, dime to 97 higher in feeder cattle, 80 to $1.15 lower in lean hog futures. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. I've not had a chance yet to talk with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade, since the announcement on the uh, new U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal. So let's take care of that right now. Brian, welcome back. What do you think of the deal? Well, thanks so much for having me on, Mike, and great to talk with you. Uh, We're pleased that the U.S., Mexico, and Canada have a deal. Uh, There's obviously a lot of details they're still working out. We haven't seen the final language, but just the... the, uh, avoiding the prospect that the U.S. would pull out altogether or that U.S. and Mexico would try to go it alone, those are definitely good things. And then Farmers for Free Trade will be working hard in 2019 to build support for this agreement and make sure it gets passed through Congress. 
I guess just a, a general overview, and as, you're, as you say, we're still looking and waiting for a lot of details, but the general reaction from much of agriculture seems to be a sigh of relief, no harm was done, and for the dairy industry, while not everything they would have liked to have seen, um, perhaps at least some improvements. That's right. I mean, I, I think the way the way farmers might think about this is it's, it's a modernized NAFTA. It's not dramatically different from how NAFTA was structured going in, so it's 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 not like it changes things for ag very much from the underlying agreement that we wanted to see maintained. It does improve things for dairy. A lot of that was accomplished as part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations, so some of that was just imported back into this U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, which, which is just fine. I mean, well, we shouldn't reinvent the wheel. If we get a good deal somewhere, we should cut and paste where we can. Um, you know, there are some changes over on the auto side and some other sectors, uh, that probably mean more in terms of uh, in terms of overall U.S. competitiveness for ag. It's you know it's it's a marginal gain. I think the big win really is just that we've, we we're reducing the uncertainty. We're we're not wondering whether NAFTA will be around next year. I think the odds are that that it will be. So agriculture will push to get it passed in Congress, uh, but as it was described to us uh, earlier this week. It may really rest in the hands of the labor unions. If they're behind it and pushing it, that will greatly enhance its chances of passage. Uh, that's correct, and and you know a lot of a lot of the wild cards will happen on in early November, November sixth, when we when we see what happens with the election. You know, there's huge number of Senate and House seats that are up in the air, and and they don't break all one way. It's not like this is a Republican or a Democratic issue. It's it's really a geographic issue. So we're going to have to look at. At each of those uh, outcomes of each of those races, see who's sitting in the committees that matter on, on the Hill, and then we'll design a legislative strategy, custom fit. You know, a lot of the targets may be Democrats in union areas, a lot of it may be uh, Republicans in ag areas. So we'll just we'll uh, we'll see where we can push and, and try to get the, the bill done. We're talking with Brian Keel, executive director of Farmers for Free Trade along with pushing for passage of USMCA. What else are you focused on right now, Brian? Well, there's really there's really three things that everyone should keep their eye on beyond USMCA or, or NAFTA 2.0. Number one, you know, as good as it is that we've got this, this three-country agreement, we didn't roll back the steel and aluminum tariffs that we had placed on Canada and Mexico and that they had been retaliated against by putting tariffs on U.S. ag products and U.S. food products. So even in the context of U.S., Canada, and Mexico, there's a lot of work to do. We've got to get those tariffs taken off so that our pork exports to, to uh, Mexico aren't subject to a tariff, our cheese exports aren't subject to a tariff, our apple exports aren't subject to a tariff. There's a lot of work we've got to do just here in North America. So that's number one. Number two, you know, we got this global trade war going on. <clears throat> you see the market sliding yesterday and, and today, this morning. Some of that, you read the analysis, is because of uncertainty and concern about global markets uh, based on this trade war. So I think, I think for everybody's sake, we got to get the trade war de-escalated. We got to get the tariffs taken off U.S. agriculture so we can sell soybeans. We're really concerned that the longer this drags on, you know, Brazil's building new elevators. They're ramping up production. This could have long-term impacts on ag if we're not careful, and it actually already is having long-term impacts. So, so we need to get it resolved quickly. And then finally and third, we need to push to open new markets. You know, we spent a year and a half uh, on, the, on the NAFTA agreement. That's probably more than we should have taken. We probably could have wrapped that up a year ago. 
what we really need to be doing is focusing on Japan, on the EU, the UK. We need to be opening up new markets and, and moving ag products. Brian, you touched on something that I've been uh, uh, thinking a lot about and talking with people about. That's the long-term impact of this uh, trade dispute with China. Even once it's settled, uh, we can feel the impacts of this for years to come, couldn't we? We absolutely can, and and that's that's a really big concern. Uh, you know, when you think about trade, I like to say trade's not a light switch. It's not something you turn off and then just turn right back on. You know, you think about Carter's grain embargo. Well, we turned off grain exports to, to Russia and uh, and then tried to turn them back on when Reagan came into office, and the damage had been done. You know, grain elevators had been shuttered. Uh, we never really got those markets back where they were, and I, I think that's what's happening today. We're we're losing market share with each passing day and each passing week. And it also, what that embargo did, uh, you know, over 30 years ago, it it opened the door for competitors around the world, and that, that's another big concern that could come out of this. Exactly. I mean, again, whether it's Brazil with soybeans or Australia with beef, and it's also where China puts its investment. I mean, if, if countries don't look at us as a dependable trading partner, if they see us as belligerent and erratic and we can't be counted on to ship goods on time and at the volume we say we're going to, they're going to start making investments elsewhere because they need dependable supplies. And I think that's one of the things we're already seeing is you're seeing uh, foreign investment drop in the U.S. and increase in other countries. That's long-term damage to our infrastructure and, and our competitiveness. So we hear about uh, potential talks with Japan. That would certainly be a big news. That would be. That would be. That would be great. And we we certainly encourage the Trump administration to stay that course. You know, I think one one piece we all should look at, and President Trump said at one point he would, we should get back in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I mean, it works on so many levels. You know, it's 12 countries, including the U.S., that would be a trading block with harmonized standards. Um, that would get us throughout Asia. Um, it would be an amazing counterweight to China. That's part of the vision behind the Trans-Pacific Partnership is create standards on things like market or uh, state-owned enterprises that create a uh, real challenge to China. If China ever wants to enter that trading block, they're going to have to liberalize their economy. So a TPP is something we need to look at even as we're having conversations with Japan. But I think it's safe to say, based on what the president's had to say about TPP and us pulling out of it, that uh, for us to get back in in any form, it would have to somehow appear, whether real or perceived, that uh, significant changes have been made so he would be able to say politically that uh, he now accepts it and would be okay for us to be in it. I mean, there, there, have, there would have to be uh, probably a long negotiating period, kind of like we went through with uh, NAFTA. That's probably correct as a matter of just politics. It's, it's kind of a sad statement. I mean, egos and saving face should not be part of how we design foreign policy for the U.S. And it's the same thing with NAFTA. I mean, for all practical purposes, this is a modernized NAFTA, but we're renaming it because we've, you know, we've done enough damage to the brand of NAFTA that President Trump felt like calling it something new would make it better. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we call things. What matters is what are the standards and are we able to ship agricultural products? That, you know, we, we need to go back to the basics. Are we opening markets and are we moving product? That's, that's what our farmers care about. Well, you had a busy summer traveling around and talking with uh, farmers and getting their input on these issues. Uh, what do you have planned for fall and winter? 
<laughs> Great question. We've got a pretty pretty uh, a widespread agenda going into the fall. Um, we've been doing town hall events around the United States. In fact, we're doing one in Philadelphia today. These are part of our Tariffs Hurt the Heartland campaign. So they're in partnership with you know oil producers, with retailers, with uh, uh, manufacturers, talking about tariffs and how they hurt. So we'll keep doing those type of events. And then as we get into the fall and, and spring, we're really going to shift our footing back to ag conventions. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be working closely with the different commodity groups. We'll be present at ag conventions uh, talking about NAFTA and how NAFTA benefits uh, farmers and how farmers can get engaged in helping NAFTA get passed. So we'll see you at a number of the uh, uh, winter meetings who will be on that circuit before long. So, yeah, the push to get it passed in Congress, and it looks like, I mean, the plan would seem to be to be do it early in 2019. It'll be a new Congress for sure, even though we've heard some rumors that based on how the elections turn out, it could be pushed up into the uh, lame duck session. But it sure seems like it'll be more next year. But uh, it'll be a different Congress one way or another, right? That's right. And yeah, there is, you know, there is talk of doing this in the lame duck session right after the elections. I think the odds of that are less than 3%. It's, it's just, the numbers aren't there. It'd be a huge lift. I think the odds are slim. I may be proven wrong, and I'd be pleased if I were. I think more likely we're talking uh, 2019, probably second quarter of 2019 is, is a better bet, probably June, July time frame. A lot of head counting is going to happen in November, and one of the things Farmers for Free Trade will be doing is looking at each of those incoming members of Congress, be it Senate or House, reaching out to them right away before they're even sworn into office and setting up meetings to talk about the importance of trade to agriculture and just make sure this new crop of elected officials really understands and has our back because we need them not just on NAFTA but on, on oversight of tariffs and, and on future trade agreements. All right, Brian, good to talk with you. See you at some of those meetings this winter then, okay? Absolutely, Mike. I sure appreciate all you're doing and look forward to talking with you again. All right, take care. Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. So still a lot to do, even with the new trade deal with Canada Mexico, a lot to do to get it passed and then uh, all these other trade issues as well. Right now, a big issue for many farmers, getting this harvest done. We've already heard from Ron Heck in Iowa, the challenges they're having with wet weather. Missouri, after having been dry all year, now they are wet. We'll talk with Missouri farmer Gene Miller next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information and then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. 
I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle, too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. 
information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, farmers that have their harvest done or close to done, breathing a sigh of relief, especially as they look around uh, other areas of the country getting a lot of rain and in some places snow, really delaying harvest. We heard earlier from Ron Heck in Iowa that uh, they have very little done because of how wet it is in Iowa. Well, the situation in Missouri is interesting. It's been dry all year, and we've talked with uh, Gene Millard throughout the year. Gene farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. They've dealt with that drought all year, and now, uh, Gene, the the floodgates have opened. All that rain you didn't get during the summer, now you're getting it, right? Everything is a matter of timing, and it looks like this year everything was really out of sync because we went for three months with just virtually no precipitation, and now in the last uh, six days we've received somewhere between 8 and 10 inches of rain. Uh, that's, That's approximately a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but it was off dry ground. So it hit, you know, the first three or four inches soaked in pretty well. Uh, but the last couple probably uh, did add some water into the ponds, which uh, livestock guys are getting pretty desperate about getting some uh, water supply. So there's, a, there's a good side, right? Yeah. That's, there, that's there, some... You know, i got to look a little bit on the good side. We've got to have some recharge of that moisture profile if there's going to be yep. anything next year because we were in about an 18-month drought. But it's, it's really gotten muddy now, and the harvest has really been stalled out. Uh, I looked around, you know, I drove into Kansas City and back yesterday and kind of around the territory a little bit. And uh, some of the tributaries going into the Missouri River, have, uh, of course, have a lot of flooding. The Missouri River itself has stayed pretty much in its uh, within the levees, uh, but a lot of seeps and wet spots and water standing. Uh, I'd say that 90 95 percent of the corn is is out of the field and so that's the good news uh but i would say less than five percent of the soybeans have been cut in this geography because they just didn't mature properly and so it's just uh, there are a lot of them just sitting out there in the mud right now so how were your corn yields with this drought year uh just about half uh, is the best way to put it uh just a lot of a lot of variability uh, within the field, so it doesn't make any difference what the high or what the low is. It's what the average is when it's all said and done. And you know, our average fell, you know, just about half of last year, right around 100 to 105 bushel, ranged anywhere from 65 to 75 on the low end, up to 135 on the high end. And that's kind of the story I've heard from several neighbors that had a lot of corn running in that same uh, yield range, depending on whether you had a low spot or a little sip, uh, spot that got a little water. And uh, that just made the big difference. An inch of rain back in July would have made a world of difference. So, I mean, different hoping- story. We thought the yeah. late rains might really give them a big uh, boost, but uh, it's kind of uh, tenuous out there as far as these bean yields. Uh, most of them are short. We don't have lodging issues like some have talked about. But we've had an invasion of stink bugs, and we had an agronomist last week checking our fields as well as some neighbors, and the stink bugs have just literally riddled a lot of the pods and, and have uh, severed them at the nodes. So it may be six, eight, nine inches up the plant before you run into a, to a pod with a cluster with pods. So uh, we don't know what the soybeans are going to do until you get a combine in the field. 
and we were in there for about 100 yards a week ago today. They were testing 16% moisture, uh, banana beans to BBs, and uh, and stink bugs in the hopper. We decided it was not a good idea to keep cutting, so the combine went back in the shed, and then it started raining. Your issues and uh, challenges are are for this year are starting to reach biblical proportions here. I mean, what other uh, plagues might be coming down on you next, I wonder? Well, I don't know. It'll probably uh, start snowing here. I, you talk about snow up in Dakota, they can keep it up there. Holy camoles. Uh, I can remember 1985, 86 uh, winter, and uh, it was muddy all fall. We couldn't get in the field. Then it snowed. Then it uh, went to zero and got cold, then it warmed up for a little bit, melted off some of the snow, and we were cutting soybeans in January on ice, and that was just absolutely no fun. So we're not looking forward to anything like that this year. But it sounds like your bean harvest, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while because the fields have just got to dry out. And uh, while uh, there was a lot of room to absorb moisture, you know, after six or eight inches, it starts adding up, and and particularly the guys that uh, you know got backwater, they they uh, had a major flood over on the Grand River at Chillicothe, Missouri, on Highway 36. They closed one lane uh, to that major highway, four-lane highway. Uh, they went in with excavators and and uh, destroyed some levees in order to relieve the pressure to get the roads back open. So that flooded out even more area all the way down to central Missouri. So it's going to be a kind of uh, it's going to be taking some time to get uh, back going again. We need sunshine and, and some dry weather. It's supposed to get 32 degrees this weekend, so man, that'll put the stop of the growing season. Hmm. Well, uh, let's look at it this way. You're getting a start on next year, right? You're getting that That's moisture right. starting right. to build back, back up. up. You, know, I got him, you know, the crop insurance adjusters are already out, and uh, we're going to have a meeting with them this afternoon. and. I'm sure that uh, they just want to get as much done as they possibly can because they know they're going to be just inundated with claims. Now, I'm hoping to see you at our National Association of Farm Broadcasting uh, Convention in uh, Kansas City next month. Uh, I hope you're not still on a combine. Well, uh, I'm going to turn that combine over to somebody else because I'm going to be down there with you. Okay. I'm counting on it. Looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks, Gene. All right. Take care. Gene Millard, who farms in the St. Joseph, Missouri area, so after a year of drought and um, where they couldn't get a rain for most of the year, now they're dealing with too much rain, and it is really delaying their harvest. That goes with what we're hearing in Iowa and some other, several other states as well, including the snow in North Dakota. So a lot of challenges uh, to wrap up the uh, harvest of 2018. Well, coming up tomorrow, we are going to talk with Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. want to get his thoughts on the new U.S.-Mexico-Canadian agreement, and especially when it comes to the dairy sector, and what are the, uh, the impacts, uh, how will it affect U.S. dairy trade moving forward. We'll talk about that and much, much more coming up on tomorrow's AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hope you'll join us. Have a great day, everyone.